Last week I shared with you that Leslie and I are in an agreement that when we buy a car, though we don't buy brand new, we buy a car that's better normally than the one we currently have, unless it's a lemon, right? And uh, then we try and drive those cars until the, the wheels fall off or the van door falls off, which happened on Leslie's watch, I'm sorry. I, w- I, would, I wish I could have been there instead of you, not to see it. But uh, we put the door back on, we're still driving it, okay? But, but normally we drive those cars till they can't be driven any longer. And uh, by that time, a newer model has come out with better features and better shape, and we replace the old one. We put that aside for the new. But uh, last week we said just because we do that, that does not mean that the old was never any good, never useful, never needed. Normally the, the case is that our old car fulfilled its purpose and then was replaced by something newer and better. And that is a good illustration of the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make about Jesus in this book. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. We are continuing our series through Hebrews entitled, Jesus is Greater. And last week we said that with all this talk in Hebrews about Jesus being better, superior to prophets and angels and Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the priesthood and the covenant made with Moses, with all this talk about Jesus being greater, a Jewish person in this day might be tempted to ask the question, then what was that that we had with Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the Levitical priest and the Old Covenant? Was that never any good? Was it, was it never necessary? Was it never needed when it comes to the issue of Jesus being a better priest associated with a superior priesthood? One might ask the question, was there ever any need for the priest of old in the old Levitical system? Was the old covenant just a pointless, worthless, no good covenant? And the answer to that question is, no, it wasn't pointless, it wasn't worthless, and yes, there was a need for the priest of old and the Levitical priesthood. That's what the author of Hebrews shows his audience, his readers here, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. We looked at this passage last week, we're going to look at it again this morning. We looked at the first seven verses last week, but we're going to review quickly and then move on. In verse 1 we said that we see with the first covenant, the old covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant he's referring to here, it was a good covenant. It was established by God. In verse 1 of Hebrews 9, the writer of Hebrews says this, Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. The first covenant God made with Moses and, and the priest, it was a good and godly covenant. 
the, the services that these priests performed, the acts they did were acts of divine service that they did on behalf of God's people and they did them unto God. The place where these works were performed, we're told here, was an earthly place of holiness. There were regulations and rules for worship put in place by God. It was good. It was needed. It was just not meant to be permanent. That's key. It was set up to be replaced. And God often reminded the Jewish people of how temporary it was by allowing priests to die and be replaced and by allowing the temple to be destroyed, right? As punishment for his people's wickedness. He also spoke through prophets who prophesied about a new and better covenant and a new and better priest. So the first covenant was not bad. It was just temporary. But in the, the first half of Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews looks at the old and the new covenant and he places them side by side. And in, instead of showing the, uh, he doesn't show the old in a, in a bad light, right? He shows it in a positive way, but he shows that the old covenant, though positive, get this, it was put in place to display the greatness of the new. The purpose of the old covenant was to point to the need for a superior savior. The old system was not meant to be an end in and of itself, but was meant to point us toward the greater covenant and point us toward the superior savior. Last week, we looked at the old place of worship and the old pattern of the Levitical priests, their services they did on behalf of God's people unto God. We're going to look at that again briefly by way of review. Then we're going to talk about the significance of the old, and then we're going to transition and we're going to end by talking about the sanctuary of the new covenant, the service of the new covenant, and the significance of the new covenant. Christ's sanctuary his service, and his significance, okay? So that's where we're, we're going, all right? But last week, we began where the writer of Hebrews begins in chapter 9 by looking at, look at it with me, the sanctuary. Look beginning in verse 2 once again. I'm going to read this again for us. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So, we saw last week in verses 2 through 5 that before the temple was put in place, there was a tent. It's called the tent of meeting or the, the tabernacle. This was the earthly place of holiness for the Jews before the temple that the writer of Hebrews is writing about here and refers to here in verse 1. And last week we talked about what is both inside and outside this Tent. There are some details that are left out 
by the writer of Hebrews right because he's writing to a first century Jewish audience who knew very well what was both inside and outside. So there's a lot of assuming going on by the author, but we said last week we're in a different context, completely removed from that. We don't have a temple set up in downtown Jacksonville like that where we walk by every day and see how things are placed and the way it functions. So we need some gaps filled in. Look again at our picture. You have it in your, in your bulletin you can pull out. I'm going to go through this briefly because if not, we'll never move on from this point and we need to move on, okay? So if you want more detail on this, get online, fellowshipjacksonville.com or subscribe to our podcast and listen to the sermon from last week. We said last week that the layout of the tabernacle was meant to be a shadow, a picture pointing to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the temple though that would work as well, but instead the tabernacle, I believe, because the tabernacle was the more earthy of the two, it was the more transient, it was constantly in flux, up one minute, down the next, it was the more temporary of the two, really to make a contrast between the temporary of the old and the permanence of the new. With me? Okay? Yet, it was a very important place. Very important place. Old does not mean bad, does not mean insignificant. It just means old and temporary. At this time, the tabernacle was the most important place on earth when it was established and set up. And we said last week, it's a gigantic picture of Jesus, isn't it? It is. The area was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. There was one way in to the east, again, picture of Jesus, right? Jesus during his earthly ministry made it very clear. He is the way, the only way into the presence of God. John 14, 6. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Perfect picture of Jesus. In the courtyard, next slide here, we see a brazen altar right there. The sacrifice was placed on this altar. On the four corners of the altar were horns, which is what the animals were bound to when they were being sacrificed. Perfect picture of Jesus, right? Our Lord was bound to a rugged cross, a wooden cross right outside of Jerusalem as a sacrifice for our sin. Perfect picture of Christ. Moving past that to the west, you arrive at what is called the laver, the wash area. At it, the priest would wash their hands and feet. Also a picture of Jesus who through his blood does what? Cleanses us, washes us clean, right? From the inside out. Past the labor, we get to the tent itself, only one way in. And when you enter in, there are two places. Next slide here. The holy place and the most holy place. Only priests were allowed into the holy place. And they would go in there and, and they would function and work each and every day. They were constantly at work. There were three things in the holy place. The writer mentions two, assuming his Jewish audience would know the third. He's in a hurry getting through this, okay? Look at the next slide here. There was a golden lampstand to the left. Seven flames burned on this lampstand, the number of perfection. And this lampstand is a picture of Jesus. 
He is the light of life, right? To the right, table of showbread. On it, every Sabbath, lay 12 loaves of bread, six in two loaves. And this, of course, was a reminder of God's great provision during the wilderness wanderings for his people where he brought bread down from heaven. But it's also meant to show us that, that Jesus is the bread of life. He not only shines light in life into our dark and dead lives, but he gives life eternal. He is the manna who has been sent down by the Father to us to give us life and give us life abundantly and give us life eternally. Amen? Next, before entering into the Holy of Holies, you have the altar of incense. Look at that, the next slide there. The altar of incense. From it, smoke-filled the holy place and the most holy place, which is why it is associated in this passage with the inner sanctuary, that inner room, and the smoke rising up from this altar is a picture of Jesus and what he has done for us as our great high priest. Incense is often used as an illustration of the prayers of God's people. I read this last week. Let me read it again. David says in Psalm 141.2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Christ made this possible through Calvary. He made it possible for our prayers and praise through him to enter in to the heavenly throne room of God. Our prayers and praise are as a sweet fragrance unto the Father because of Christ, because of His imputed righteousness to us by faith. Notice also that incense is tied again to the most holy place. Look at verses 3 and 4. We're told this. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Now it's very odd that the altar of incense, it's spoken of in a way as if it's inside the most holy place, but we know from Scripture and from the layout here that it's outside the most holy place. But the author of Hebrews, he doesn't make a mistake here. We said earlier, that smoke, though it filled the holy place, it would have gone beyond the veil into the most holy place, making the mercy seat very difficult to see. I believe signifying that there is still a separation between God and man, but it's also a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ because only through Him, again, can we enter into the presence of holy God. In verse 3 of chapter 9, we learn there's another room, an inner room covered by a veil. Only the high priest was authorized to enter into this room once a year on the Day of Atonement. In this room, look at it, was one piece of furniture and that was the ark of the covenant right in it was Aaron's rod that budded manna and tables of law on it was a lid made of pure gold the mercy seat and on the mercy seat were two angels whose wings stretched out over it and almost touched and it was between the wings of those angels where God and man met. God speaks through Moses in Exodus 25, 22 and says, from above the mercy seat, 
from between the two cherubim, there I will speak with you. There I will commune with you. But we said last week, the problem with the old system is that only one guy could enter into this place and he had to get in and get out once a year. No one else was allowed into this place where God and man met, which is really no kind of access at all, right? But we said last week that this place, though great, it's a mere picture of Jesus and the great work that he accomplished for us. We said last week, Jesus is the true mercy seat. He is the place where God and man meet through Christ, through his great person and work, through trusting in him alone for salvation. We are ushered right into the presence of holy God. Aren't you glad, believers, that God no longer communes with men through one man, one time of year in Jerusalem in a small portion of a temple? But instead, he now communes with us through Christ, through our faith alone in Christ alone. Christ is our mercy seat, the meeting place of God and man. So that's the sanctuary. Notice also the services, the services of the priest in the tabernacle. We talked about these services last week as well in verses 6 through 7. We said in the first section of the temple, there was the holy place. The priests went in there day after day. They had daily tasks to perform. It was a nonstop, never-ending job. And we said this is also a picture of Jesus, who though he is seated at the Father's right hand in terms of the work he accomplished in our salvation, Christ is in the heavenlies at work for you and for me. He is our priest. He is serving us in Glory. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He doesn't stop bringing light and life into this dark and dead world. He does not cease leading his sheep as, uh, to, to God as, as our good shepherd. He does not stop securing us and feeding us and growing us through the Holy Spirit. And he will not stop forever. In verse 7, the author of Hebrews talks about the task of the high priest on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. One day a year, let's look at it, look at the diagram up here, the image, and you have it in your notes. When the high priest would enter in to the most holy place to offer sacrifice, he would offer it for the unintentional sins of the people. And we said on this day, the high priest entered into the most holy place and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, on the meeting place of God and man to serve as a catch-all for the sins of God's people. And, and last Sunday, we talked about these garments that he would wear on his head. He had a title that said, Holy to Yahweh. He bore that on his head, and he had the names of the tribes of God's people on his shoulders and on his chest. Perfect picture of Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived his life holy unto God, right? He also came with us on his hearts and us on his shoulders, meaning Christ came willing to save and able to save us. We've said in the past, if he was willing but was not able, that would not be good news. And if he was able but not willing, that would not be good news. Christ is both willing and able, and he has accomplished this fantastic work. So that's the work that was done. 
That's the service that was rendered, and that is one long introduction, isn't it? We've looked at the sanctuary and the service. Now, let's look briefly at the significance, the significance of the old. Earlier, we asked the question that if Jesus is better than Aaron, better than the Levitical priest, if the covenant he is associated with is better than the old, then what is the significance of the old priesthood, the old rituals, the priests, and the tabernacle? He tells us here, verse 8, by this, the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's at work here, showing what this means. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So notice the Holy Spirit was trying to show God's people something through this old system. He is showing through this the need for the new. The Holy Spirit through the establishment of the tabernacle, through the service of the priest on a daily basis and the high priest once a year made it clear that the way into God's presence, the way into the holy place, into God's presence had not yet been opened up. So as long as that first covenant was in place, the old covenant was in place, redemption was incomplete. There was still a need. This whole system was set up to prove there's no access to God, no true access. Could people enter into the holy place? No, only the priests. Could anybody enter into the most holy place? Nobody could but one, the high priest, once a year, right? Briefly, this earthly place of holiness made it clear that there was a need for a new covenant that could. And a new priesthood that could provide access to God. The whole thing was meant to show that without a Redeemer, without a Messiah, without a Savior, without the Lord Jesus Christ accomplishing this great work, there is no access to God. There is no hope at all of salvation. The Holy Spirit shows us this through the old. He shows through the old there was a need for a better priest, a better sacrifice, and a better covenant. That's the purpose, to show the need for the new. That's pretty simple, by the way, isn't it? The, the, the purpose of the old, when, whenever you're reading through that and you get bogged down in all the details, you know, and you're like, man, what is the reason for all this? Here's the reason right here. It was meant ultimately to show the need for the new. It showed man's sinfulness and inability and the need for salvation. It pointed God's people in faith toward the Messiah to come. It led many to look to and trust in this future work that Christ came to do for us by accomplishing our salvation. Look at verses 9 and 10. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, underline that word, perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Underline the word reformation too. I love that word. Though the priest were at work on a daily basis, 
offering gifts and sacrifices to God for themselves and on behalf of God's people, they could not remove sin. They had no power, were unable to open up a way for God's people to enter into God's presence. The reason being, these old priests were sinners in need of a superior savior. They did not offer the kind of sacrifice that would accomplish this great work of salvation. The gifts and sacrifices they offered on a daily basis could not remove sin. It could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. They dealt literally with food and drink and various washings outward regulations of the body and that's it folks they were temporary and in their purpose was to serve as an illustration of the work that Christ came to do they were done in faith looking forward to the great work of Christ that he came to accomplish they were meant to be replaced they served as a shadow as an illustration for a time until the true priest the superior king priest Christ came to accomplish that work. The first system was temporary. End of verse 10, until the time of reformation. That word reformation, you know what that word means? To set things right. They were in place until that time when things were set right. That's what our Lord does, you know that? He makes things right. We mess it up with our sin. Christ comes and he makes it right again. That's what he comes to do. He's saying this old system was used by the Holy Spirit to show the problem of man's sin, the inability of men to save themselves, and the need for a Savior, and to illustrate the work that the Savior is going to come and accomplish. And this old system was to remain in place until that time when the Savior comes to accomplish this great work and set all things right. That's the significance of the Old Covenant. And the writer of Hebrews is saying all that, in hopes that his Jewish audience would know there's no need for the old any longer. The old has fulfilled its purpose. It has accurately shown the need of the new. It has come to an end because the time of reformation, believers, has come. Christ has come. He has accomplished this great work. Through him, we're set right. We're forgiven. We're restored to God. That's the point he makes in verses 11 through 14. So we've looked at the sanctuary, the service, and the significance of the Old Covenant. Now let's end by looking at this passage quickly, and let's look at the sanctuary, the service, and significance of the new. Christ's sanctuary, His service, and His significance. And we're just going to spend a few minutes on this, because after setting the stage, like the author does in verses 1 through 10, this is very, very easy to see. Look at verse 11, but, I love that word. That's a great word in this context. Listen, but when Christ appeared as our high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not created. So let's stop there for a minute. After examining this old covenant, 
and the fact that it merely pointed toward man's sinfulness, it showed man's sinfulness, man's inability, and the need for salvation could not set things straight. There was a need for good things to come, a need for reformation, a need for things to be set right. The old couldn't do it, but when Christ appeared, he came as what? The high priest of good things to come. That's who Jesus is. Christ has come. He came to accomplish a superior work in a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not a tent made with hands, not of this creation. So notice, next slide here. Notice his sanctuary, first point. We talked about the sanctuary of the old. Now let's talk about Christ's sanctuary. The old was an earthly physical tent, an earthly place of holiness made by the hands of men being directed by God. The tent where Christ serves as our high priest, it isn't an earthly man-made tent. It's in the heavenlies. And though this sanctuary is associated with the new covenant, it's nothing new. All right. Remember the tabernacle, the earthly tent, was a model of the real heavenly place where our great high priest, Jesus, serves. It's in heaven. That's where his sanctuary is. Christ serves as a high priest in glory. In the heavenly temple, within the heavenly veil, in the heavenly throne room at the right hand of the Father on high. And get this, the wonderful part about this is that though the old priest could enter into the lesser tent, into the earthly physical holy of holies once a year for a brief period of time, he could not bring anyone else in with him, right? Not so with Jesus. He grants access to God for all who trust in him alone for salvation. And get this, we don't have a one-time access, right? We don't just have access once a year for a moment with God. We have continual access to God's throne of grace through Jesus Christ forever. You can commune with God in his word, in prayer, through Jesus as often as you like. Christ has done this for us. And so here's the practical application for us today, the, the question that needs to be asked, are you? Are you communing with God? Are you taking advantage of this access that you have continually to God's throne of grace through Christ, believers? You should. So that's his sanctuary. Now let's talk about his superior service. We have said that Christ serves as our great high priest in the heavenly tabernacle, within the heavenly holy of holies. What exactly did he do there for us? We'll look at it, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. What a great verse of Scripture. Mark that down, commit it to memory, all right? You'll notice in your study guide, it's actually our verse for the week. Great verse of Scripture. Notice three things here we learn when it comes to the service that Christ did on our behalf. One, notice he entered into the heavenly holy of holies. How many times, believers? Once. He did it once. That's different. That's different from the high priest of old. Remember we said they were in and out? 
the priests were in and out of the holy places every day and in and out of the most holy place once a year. Christ went in once, never to come out again, never to repeat it. The work he accomplished on our behalf for our salvation as our great high priest is completed. It's sufficient. The works of the priest of old never was finished and never was sufficient. How did he enter in? Next point, by means of his own blood. He shed his blood for us. He laid his life down as our perfect sacrifice for sin. That's why he only had to make one trip into the heavenly holy of holies. The sacrifice of himself for our sin was sufficient to remove our sin, to cleanse us completely, to perfect the conscience of the worshiper. And notice what this did. Third point. Through this work, Christ secured for us an eternal redemption. The high priest of old could not secure anyone for any length of time for anything, right? Much less forever. Jesus secured an eternal redemption for us, past, present, future, for past, present, and future sinners who trust in him, and and he covered the past, present, and future sins forever in this one single act of laying his life down, taking it up again, entering once into the heavenly holy of holies for us. He, He serves in a superior sanctuary, and he, on our behalf, performs superior service. And notice finally the significance of this great work, the significance of this new covenant. Look at verses 13 and 14, then we'll close this out. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, very interesting, right? What they did there, they went through a lot. Sanctifying for the purification of the flesh, how much more... The will, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Love it. We've said already that the old covenant, as weak as it was, it had some good points. We learn in verse 13, they went through a lot to purify the outward man, Right? Sacrifice of of goats and bulls, all the old Jewish rituals of of purification that they went through, they had their, their positives. Through these acts, one who had been defiled and cut off from worshiping God alongside his people could be allowed to participate once again in these ceremonies for worship. But the problem was they could be defiled and separated from the group once again. It wasn't permanent. And and even when they were restored through these sacrifices, through the practice that is described here of a defiled person, get this, being sprinkled with the ashes of a heifer. How many of y'all would like to go through that to be cleansed? Sprinkled? Anybody? The ashes of a heifer? No. Okay. There's still a great separation that's taking place. Most could not enter into the holy place, only the priest, and all but one were unable to enter into the most holy place. That changed with Christ. 
We're told that his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the laying down of his own life, offering himself up without blemish to God through that act, we're able to be cleansed from the inside out forever. Get this. I want you to get this. His great work, Christ's great work, does not just cleanse us outwardly to participate in ceremony. It cleanses us inwardly, saves us completely, and secures us permanently. That's a difference. That's better. Isaac Watts, in a hymn he wrote, 1709, we're going to listen to it here in a moment. Boy, it's awesome. Entitled, Not All the Blood of Beasts, says this. Listen to this. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Great. The works of the old priest could cover up the outward for a time. The works of Jesus cleanses us from the inside out forever. The old covered man outwardly, the new changes man completely inwardly. Thank you, Jesus. And the question for you today is this. Have you been changed from the inside out? Do you have a new heart, a new nature? Have you died to your will and your ways? Have you given your life up and over to King Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your priest? Is he your Savior? Is he? If not, do you give your life up and over to him today? Forsake your sin. Bow the knee to King Jesus and be saved today. If you have not, pray you would make that decision right here, right now. Let's pray.